Welcome to Waves of Change podcast. I'm your host, Lizzie Lara. Hey friends, welcome to another episode of Waves of Change podcast. So happy that you're with us. Today, I have a wonderful interview I'm so excited to bring to you. Today, I'm speaking with Cindy Eggleton, who's the co-founder and CEO of Brilliant Detroit. I had uh, such a fun time speaking with Cindy. She is just such um, an amazing, positive energy and so fun to talk to. And the work that her organization is doing in Detroit is really inspiring and incredible. If you are like me and haven't had the chance to visit Detroit, you might know Detroit from what you hear in the news, like me, um, which is, you know, that they are experiencing a lot of poverty, a lot of vacant houses, um, you know, a, a city associated with crime. And what Cindy has thought up and what it, she is doing is transforming the community in Detroit. And you'll hear us speak about the details of how she's doing that, but it's so innovative and I um, love the work that they're doing. Two things that you'll hear us talk a lot about are two things that you hear me talk a lot about on the podcast, but I want to highlight. First is you'll hear us bring up frequently in this conversation community. And it's something that I speak a lot about on the podcast because so many nonprofits are focused on creating community, but that's really what Cindy is doing in these neighborhoods in Detroit is she is bringing neighbors together to solve solutions. And that's the second thing I want to highlight. You'll hear Cindy emphasize over and over again that these neighborhood centers that um, her organization is creating are co-designed by the neighborhoods, that they are giving the power to the citizens, that they are coming to the people in the community and asking them what their needs are. And I know that's something that we've talked about before that um, nonprofits need to make sure that they're not going in telling people what they need, but rather listening to the people that they're serving, listening to what they say their needs are, and then putting them in leadership positions to um, be the ones solving the solutions. So I love that that is exactly what Brilliant Detroit is doing. I'm so excited to see their um, them continuing to expand because I just think it's um, such a brilliant idea um, not to have a play on words. but. I will let you get to the interview. I know you are going to enjoy hearing Cindy speak as much as I enjoyed speaking to her. So here is my interview with Cindy Eggleton from Brilliant Detroit. So today we have Cindy Eggleton, who is the co-founder and CEO of Brilliant Detroit. Brilliant Detroit is dedicated to building kids' success families and neighborhoods where families with children zero to eight have what they need to be school ready, healthy, and stable. Cindy, welcome to the podcast. Oh, it's such an honor to be here. Thank you for having me. Of course. Thank you for being here. Um, I was hoping we could get started by you telling us the origin story of Brilliant Detroit. Yeah. So um, Brilliant Detroit started in 2016. I'm a co-founder 
And, um, you know, there's a couple of things. One is in Detroit, and, and some of these things are mirrored elsewhere, which is why we're going to start some national expansion here, is under 14% of kids read at grade level by third grade. There's a gap of early childhood and care options for about 20,000 kids and about 50% of kids under age five live in poverty. Those mm -hmm. statistics have to change. Yeah. The, the other thing is, is I am a first generation high school graduate whose family came from poverty. And so this is really personal. And I knew we could, should, and must do better. And Together with another couple whose name is um, Carolyn and Jim Bellinson, we decided to create something that at that time was considered radical. Okay, now people kind of understand it, but when we first started this, people were like, what are you talking about? So basically we create what we call kids success neighborhoods, neighborhoods where kids and families have everything they need in the middle of their neighborhood, belly to eight, and also in education, health, and family support. And I mean everything for the whole family. We repurpose houses. Those become community hubs and everything is there. When people come in, they are actually asked if you could wish upon a star, what do you want for yourself and the, your family? And they co-design what that looks like for them. We are brought into neighborhoods. This is how we do it. Um, we're invited only. We hire from the neighborhood. Mm -hmm. It's very neighborhood and community centric. In the beginning and middle of the day, we believe that the agency belongs with communities and with our caregivers. They know what's best for their kids and families. What we need to do is to activate and make that happen. So this kind of the origin. When we started, who knew? Was this going to work or not, right? Right. <laughs> Um, I didn't run it initially. I was designing it. But when I started, we had 50 participants. We had one location. And today we serve, I obviously I came on board. We serve, have served 18,000 people. We have eighteen locations. We will be at 24 next year. Um, in those locations, what's happened is we've shown reading levels to grow three levels. We've shown significant or very significant improvement in education, health, and family support. So for anybody who thinks it can't be done, yes, it can. And because we work with partners, so they come in, they do the programs, we get people, we connect it and coordinate it, um, and we evaluate it. We've been able to um, do this for about $500 a person per year, which is our cost which is ridiculous um, for anybody for these kinds of outcomes. Now, it'll probably get more expensive as we do more and more and more. But um, I have found in life right now, like this is my purpose. And um, it's everything I had hoped could be and then some. But the, the people in the center of this are the families, they're heroes, and they actually make this all happen. I love that. I love that as neighborhood centric and they're the ones leading. Um, can you describe what the neighborhood centers are? Like what are some things that um, every neighborhood center, all 18 have? Yeah, I think that's like, yeah, there's still this question like what happens? It's a house. And um, <laughs> so I'm going to describe it a little bit and then I'll give a story. Okay. okay and then perfect. Well, we'll bring it a, a, alive. So um Everybody has 
after school literacy programming. We have programming to help build vocabulary early on or just words and turn taking. We have literacy for adults and children. We have exercise. We have um, nutrition. We have mental health programming. Uh, we have parenting classes. We have play and learns. You, those are sort of the cores that get to those buckets. Now, then we have programs at every location that the neighborhood may say, we need and want this, that we step into further. And that's, that is um, led by the neighborhood. They help us with those as long as it fits our logic model. Now, what does that look like? Okay, so we have programs for kids, kids and adults and adults only. I'm gonna give this story of one of our participants and she came to us five years ago. When I first talked to her, I used to know everybody, I don't now, but she said, <laughs> she started the conversation with listen. So, okay, I'm listening. And that's the biggest thing is listening. And she said, look at, I'm 26. I have four kids. I've had a really hard life. I've been homeless. My literacy, I don't read well. I've had mental health challenges. Nobody could love their kids more than I do. Nobody. Mm -hmm. And that was true. And she said, I tell you this because I've been to a lot of organizations. I've needed things and they gave me what I needed, but I never once felt cared about. Hmm. So I just think about that for a minute. She said, until now. She was going to one of our sites. She was taking literacy for herself because it, was, it wasn't high enough for a GED. She wanted to be certified. She wanted to do mental health coaching. We certified her as a mental health support coach, peer to peer. She actually started a program that we're spreading all over. She's part of our advisory in the neighborhood. She did play and learns with her children. Her children were getting tutored. Her children were not doing well in school when they came. They now have a 3.0 average. Amazing. Her won the reading award two years ago. Um, she's gone from a first grade reading to a sixth grade reading. She started this program, which is called Brilliant Minds. She's on the advisory. Here's the really cool thing. She just bought her first house. Wow. Wow. And she works for us now. Um, and that's her life's purpose. And that's what it looks like. That's what it looks like. And so the thing of it is, is that sometimes we say like, look at, I took this program that may not change your life. Poverty is difficult. You need to be all in, all love. We call it love, safety, and growth. And what we also saw and what she also was saying to me is organizations provide programs and services. A community is there for each other. We're both. And I think the most important thing that people find when they walk through our doors is a community because we've lost that in society, right? Mm -hmm. Unless you feel connected and you feel part of something, again, it's that I feel loved, I feel safe, then you will grow. It's really critical. So it is a different type of approach. Um, it's taking a lot of lessons learned and what people have said, you know, that I've learned over the years. Um, and it works because people are at the center. Does that make sense? Yes, no, 100%. And I love that these neighborhood centers are creating that community that we, I think, particularly in this country have lost, um, and is so needed to especially for, you know, a single mother like her, who really, when when you're raising children, you need a community. And I love that these neighborhood centers are 
walkable distance for these families that they're easy to access and they're bringing people together is really beautiful. Yeah, the issue of having a walkable neighborhood is critical. And um, I hear that all the time. Look at, we, we, we were able to walk here. We were, you know, and I can't, the other cool thing on that is a lot of times people are meeting each other that are four doors down from each other. Right. Yeah. Um, and I think we've just lost some of that in society and mm -hmm. it, it is the secret sauce. I, I will say that. Yeah. I love that. I saw on your website that you have principles. I was hoping that you could speak to yeah. that and, and why they're important. All right. So I think this is like the main thing. And as we're looking at national expansion, what do we need to maintain is our principles. Okay. And people ask us like, how do you get that many partners? How are you doing it? It's centered in the principles. So um, we started this way and we've stayed very, very true to this. Um, and I, I love that you saw that and you, you know that that's important. So one is we are family centered. People matter and they are the center of the work, not our organizations. So often organizations become institutions and mm -hmm. they're serving themselves and they're doing good work along the way. I don't want to criticize that, but it isn't really about what's valuable to the family. We live that in a lot of ways. We ask, we also set our hours in each neighborhood by what works for families. So, you know, Often there's an organization that's serving families that aren't available till after five and they're serving them nine to five. So yeah. there's things like that. We're evidence-based. We believe strongly that people deserve the best of the best and we need to deliver it. So everything that comes in has evidence or research behind it. We are neighborhood-based. The community is our partner. And that's a really, really important piece. Sometimes people will say to us, like, what are your demographics? And I can name those. But what I want to say is every neighborhood is different. They have their own stories. They have their own culture. There's things that are different. We're neighborhood-based. And what we're looking to do is actually create an entire neighborhood where we're there for kids and families, mm -hmm. not just the hub. We're mm -hmm. coordinated and continuous. You come in for one thing, like an app, and then you can you might lead to something else. We're belly to eight. So there's certain things you might want and need for your children that are zero to three versus three to five versus five to eight. And then once you take something and you master it, it's what else? And everybody comes in at a different point in life. So that's really important is to coordinate it and make sure it's ongoing. We're relationship driven. We believe in people. We believe people should be at the center of it. And we actually hire for care and love. We want our staff to know every single person walking in the door, know who they are, know what their story is, and to reinforce that. So we do that with a great deal of intention. And lastly, it's a with, for, and by. This is done in partnership with our families and with the neighborhoods. It is not done to people. We don't mm -hmm. drop into neighborhoods either. This is all something we create together. And that's also what we look at for our partners is to make sure that the principles can align. And when we do that, we actually have a waiting list of 170 partners. We want to live together. We want to do this together, but it's principle-based. And when you say partners, those are people who are coming into the neighborhood centers offering services? That's right. That's right. 
Wow, that's incredible that there's a waiting list of people who are so eager to work with the neighborhood centers. Yeah, no, it's it's beautiful. We also have like um, both partners, but we're fueled by volunteers. We have over 3,600 volunteers and that's a really um, important part of the whole as well. Um, I was hoping you could walk through because the fact that you all are are buying homes and transforming them into neighborhood centers, could you kind of walk us through like how that process works? How do you identify the homes or the next neighborhoods you're going to be working in? And how do you take it from, um, you know, just a home that you buy to these to these neighborhood centers? I'm sure it's a lot of work and love. It is. And um, one of our board members early on said, you're a property manager. And I'm like, no, I'm not. Yes, I am. Uh, yes. <laughs> so the first step is a neighborhood invites us in. We do listening sessions. We do about six to 10. We want to make sure that even though somebody has invited us in or a group has invited us in, we're talking to people that have lived there for a long time and new so that it's really we're welcomed. We then form an advisory to pick out a house because the neighborhood knows better than us what the right place is. We have certain things we want to look at, like if we want it to be big enough, we'd love a side lot, things like that. Um, and they help us. And and in general, we love going into houses that are dilapidated because it gives a sense of hope in the neighborhood. We then hire to get the contracting done. Now, we started saying we wanted to hire everything from the neighborhood. Sometimes we can do that. Sometimes we can't. So it right. uh, depends on the neighborhood. Um, and we start the renovation. Those renovations have taken as little as six months um, for total transformation of the house and as long as a year and a half. Because, you know, during COVID especially, there weren't as many contractors. It was tricky to get things done. Once the house is completed, we're going to come and meet again all the neighbors and we have an open house and we start an advisory that's informed by the community. They help keep us on track. They say this is going good. This is not good. Um, that's what we want to hear. And they have power to do that within the neighborhood. And then we bring in the programming. And even in that, we think about what should we step into more, even though we have certain things that are must. Again, right. those things that we could or should do. Um, so that's kind of how it works. Now, once we have a house that's converted into a hub, we're not done. We generally have side lots and we do an effort with the community about a year in, which is uh, what are your hopes and dreams? It's resident-led design for that side lot. And we build out little parks right next to the house. So it's a, it's a beautiful part. And the idea is that this is something that we create and grow together, just like we are doing as people. Yeah, I love that. So not only are you a property manager, but you're also flipping houses and transforming neighborhoods. I'm sure like bringing up property value in the, in the meantime. Yeah, so that's something we didn't think about necessarily at first. So the property value is one thing, but the more important thing is generally speaking, and we're going to commission a study on this, is our locations. The neighborhood is safer um, because people are watching it. Um, it tends to be better cared for, et cetera. And we're going to actually look at that. It wasn't something that we set out to do, but I think because like there's hope, you're bringing it together, it begins to happen. Yeah, I think it goes back to that conversation about creating community and then people have pride in that community and 
are eager to take care of it, which is a beautiful. Exactly. Outcome. I mean, in one of our houses, the side lot is the porch is going to wrap around and it's going to be a stage for performances. Like that's cool, right? Like you can awesome. imagine together and they should become magical places. Yeah. What's one of like a, a very unique program that's like unique to one of the neighborhood centers that they have? Oh, yeah. Um, so it's both unique programs. I'm going to talk about that a little bit and then unique to to the neighborhood in terms of what might be served. Let me talk about unique to a neighborhood a little bit. And one of our neighborhoods, um, we we border with a homeless shelter. Mm. We partnership with the homeless shelter. We actually go and do some classes one day a week there. And those um, individuals come to our hub there. Then when they get permanent placement, they have a home all throughout the city because we're in so many places. I think that's pretty cool, right? Yeah. We have, um, I think also unique too is we have actually a program that is developed by each neighborhood, which is called Neighborhood Pride. And we co-design that with the neighborhood and what do they want to learn about their neighborhood and their own family culture. And we actually had that custom designed by one of our staff members and it's like keeps getting requested, right? Um, I think, you know, I talked a little bit about Brilliant Minds, which is a peer-to-peer support group for mental health. I think it kept one of our neighborhoods together during Mm -hmm. COVID as they had each other. We also work with an area university on customized art therapy at all of the locations that are different because of the location. So it's all of those different things. That's very cool. I'm curious, um, you know, as someone who's native to Detroit, what what does this mean for you to see Detroit transforming with these neighborhood centers? And you're about to have 24 neighborhoods. coming together you know and there's gonna always need to be a lot of work right so I am stinking lucky okay (laughs) so this is my purpose in life as a little girl I always thought geez I wanted to be part of doing something that um was helpful to families like ours right and I never I did I've done a lot of great things let me just say I've been really blessed in life you know this is the first time that I can see it. And so, you know, people ask me, my my co-founder often calls me and says, Cindy, on a scale one to 10, where are you? I am always a 10. Um, And that is because I love the people I work with. I, they are the heroes. They're the amazing people in this work. And I am so lucky who gets to retire from something like this. That's where I am. Obviously I am going to retire at some point. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, that's so beautiful. It's how you know that you're doing what you're supposed to do is that you're fulfilled and happy doing it. Um, I saw on your website, you have something called uh, 313 Speaks. I was hoping you could explain what that is. Yeah, 313 Speaks is actually a program that uses Lena Start. And Lena Start is, it's, it's an interesting um, effort. Um, and, you know, there's, there's, there's some debate about how many words, but there's a word gap um, in the neighborhood of 20 to 30 million words between a high 
um, like a middle income family and one that's more resource poor that's actually being spoken to a child. Oh, this wow. is a device that goes on and counts the utterances. And we actually work with um, families for about 11 weeks to help build how much vocabulary they're saying and what's wow. turn taking. So you have a child, you know, so that's the you know, that's a tree. Yes, that's a tree. What do you think that turn taking is what literally builds a child's brain? So this is a brain builder by learning how to speak more, do more turn taking by the age of three. And so we do that citywide. Um, we were part of five cities that Bloomberg funded to do more of it. And it's one of my very favorite things that I that we do. That is very interesting. Does um, Detroit have many like bilingual families? Like, I wonder how that comes into play for a program like that. Oh, well, yeah. So we're all over Detroit. So there's neighborhoods that are almost entirely bilingual. And where I am sitting today, which is our headquarters, is entirely bilingual. Everybody here is bilingual or they only speak Spanish. Mm -hmm. um, and you know, there's, there's actually some research coming out. So they are extreme, they participate, but it's also, it's the utterances. You can do it in your native language. There is a lot of research coming out to suggest like actually bilingual families can build a brain more um, and they should be speaking in their native language a little bit more sometimes to their younger children because that thing, it's called parentese, um, like where you're enunciating words with your little one actually helps kids decode and learn how to speak and 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 later in life learn how to read. That's very cool. Um, I know you mentioned national expansion. I was hoping you could kind of speak to what's going on around that and your hopes yeah, for that. We're in the middle of this. Um, so during this process, and we grew fast, you know, seven years, um, 21 cities have reached out to us and said, could we do a brilliant here? Um, and we were not ready and we're ready now, okay? We wanted to finish up what we're doing in Detroit, but we also wanted to make sure we had enough lessons to be able to move to other cities. So we're going to start expansion in three of those 21 cities. And there's also four countries that have reached out to us. And um, I know it's gonna look a little different in each of those cities. We've actually started um, this, but what will still remain the same are our principles. Mm -hmm. and that the neighborhood invites us in and that we do the listening sessions. What I'm finding already, because I'm doing a lot of work in one city in particular right now, is while that city is different than Detroit, what isn't different is our desire to have community and to have things coordinated. People, and I'm going to give an example of early on what happened for me when I was asking a group, what do you need? A woman stood up and she said, I need this. I need this and I need this. And she said, you people think access to something's two miles that way, five miles this way, 10 miles that way. I don't drive and I work full time. We're creating systems that don't work for people, even when you have a resource rich environment, but in a lot of cases they're resource poor. Brilliant can help pull that together. And our hope is that we ultimately do this with affiliates and that um, once we've learned enough, we'll give it away. We we don't want to be this big institution. We just want to be a way forward. 
Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. I hear that a lot speaking with nonprofits is that these systems are set up to help people, but they don't speak to each other and they don't speak to the people that they're serving. And yeah, there's a lot of hoops to jump through. For, yes. Yeah. Well, and I love that you're bringing the same principles of community. And just as you spoke of that woman of, you know, it's not just a handout or a service, it's creating that welcoming environment, um, which is so important. We're growing together. We're partners together. We're that that's what makes the difference. Um, I know you already shared a couple stories with us, but I was hoping you could share another one of your favorite like success stories with us. Oh, I have so many stories. I'm, I'm sure you I'm do. Gonna, I um I, I'm actually I'm gonna share um some lessons for me along yeah. the way. Okay. Yeah. And I have I had two of them when we first started. I'm a recovering data geek. Okay. <laughs> the most important part is to learn how to listen. So Early on in our first site, um, one of our staff called and she said, Cindy, this week, three people told me their lives were changed. I'm like, oh my God, that's wonderful. What did we do? She said, well, Dana came to Zumba class. Okay, so I'm thinking, boy, do I have a lot of work to do. And I said, you know, we did not change a life by Zumba. She said, she said we did. Well, I was actually wrong. This person felt isolated. They were not going out. They were actually depressed. They came to Zumba and it sparked them coming to the site five days a week. They were a grandparent. They brought their daughter and their grandchildren. Three generations went five days a week. She ended up becoming a staff. Her daughter had five kids when she was having her twins. Her kids said to her, this isn't fair because those babies are going to be smarter than us because they have brilliant Detroit. Mm. so I think that's like something in terms of how we can define things etc the other thing when I realized we were really on to something we do community dinners every month also and one of our like you know not too far into it somebody knitted 72 hats how do you do that? <laughs> I'm like how did you do that? Like, I can't knit a row and why? And so I asked her and she, you know, she explained the technically how she did it, but she said to me, Cindy, this has been my neighborhood for 35 years. I've raised my kids here. It was my neighborhood and then it wasn't. And mm. now it is. And that's what I want to say is like, those are the stories that you have to start there. And then people are part of it. They're coming more often. It's happening. You know, I'll share one last story. Um, you know, I don't even know all the stories, but they impact me. There's a, a, a mother here and I know her. She comes in often. And, you know, one day she was coming. She's in our main site and or our headquarters. And I said, how's it going? And she starts to cry. Mm. And I said, you know what? So she goes, I, I, I just can't thank you enough. I can't thank Brilliant Detroit enough. And I go, well, you've been coming. What, you know, what is this? She goes, you know, her younger son, whose name was Daniel, he wasn't reading. He was held back in kindergarten and they were about to hold him back again. We had him in this tutoring program one-on-one -on -one where you really mentored him. She, three weeks into this, she's doing a Zoom, but he's sitting on the stair and he's looking like he's reading a book and she thought oh that's so cute he's he's pretending to read and 
she went up to him and he was reading because the code got unlocked, right? Mm. And then within three months, he was writing. Like he had that personalized care. But the piece that made me cry is she said, Cindy, he took a cardboard box and he had all these books in it. There was a new baby. There was a grandbaby in the household. And he was reading and he went in there every day and was reading. And, he, and she said, Daniel, that's so cute. What are you doing? And he said, I never want, you know, his his uh, niece now to feel like I did. Mm-hmm. I'm going to read to her every day for the rest of her life. Now, that is a beautiful thing. That is so sweet. I love that story. Um, well, I want to give you a chance as we close out to let uh, listeners know where they can find you and also uh, how they can help. Thank you so much. So yes, everybody can help. Okay. So um, <laughs> we need everybody. This is about how do we all come together? It's really creating community. We need that. So you can go on our website. You can um, go on our website. You can donate and you can sign up for volunteer um, activities, even if you're remote, right? You're coming from a different part of the country. You can do that. So donate, uh, volunteer. Also, if you have questions and things that are on your mind or ideas, this is something that we would like to be co-created. Email us at info at brilliantdetroit.org. We need everybody. All of us need to come together in some way for our kids. It's the future. Yeah, I love that. Well, we always end every uh, interview with some fun rapid fire questions as a way to get to know you better, if you're willing. I'm willing. (laughs) Okay. Uh, what is your favorite place in the world and be as specific as possible? Um, I, I just want to say it's Detroit. Like I love visiting other places, but Detroit is my home and it's my heart. And there is nothing like a Detroiter. I love it. Um, what TV show are you currently watching? Oh, um, I finished and I'm not a big TV person cause I'm always working, but, um, my sister comes over now and we watch a show and it was uh shrinking which i loved oh nice yeah i liked that one and the last book that you read um i'm reading a book right now i'm half native american and i have like um that history etc is really important and the book is called the night watchman and it's actually based on true history um on legally when uh there was an attempt to take the land away from um, native americans and so i'm loving that book oh that sounds interesting um one fun fact about you um one fun fact is i've i've led this different life of coming in different ways and at one point i did um work in a lab and did surgery with rats studying neuroscience and so that's something that most people wouldn't expect from me I yeah. saw my brows go <laughs> yeah no I mean it's oppressive but it definitely is a different career <laughs> um and then the last one is your favorite quote oh um I'm gonna get it wrong but it's it's um Martin Luther King and I think it's something like it's always the right time to do right it's I'm gonna say it a little bit wrong but I think that's I think that's it. And I think that everyone here knows that I always think what's the right thing to do. Not what's the easiest thing or what is the process, but what's the right thing to do. I love that. Well, thank you so much, Cindy. This was such a pleasure uh, speaking with you. Thanks for coming on the podcast. Thank you so much. I can't even begin to tell you you're so easy to talk to. And thank you for sharing our story.
Oh, you're so sweet. Thank you for listening to Waves of Change podcast. Follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Waves of Change POD. If you have a question or recommendations for next guests, email us at wavesofchangepod at gmail.com. And don't forget to subscribe to Waves of Change podcast and rate us to help others find us. And if you're feeling extra generous, please share this episode on your social media channels. Thank you for listening. We'll see you next time.